Last time on Toasting the Classics, we ran long discussing Jack Kerouac and the Beat Generation. I'd say that means we need no introduction to the second half of our episode, beyond a reminder that the work of William S. Burroughs had just come up. So, without further ado, here's episode 87 of Toasting the Classics, part two of On the Road. You mentioned Naked Lunch. I think one of the, all of them are really weird and interesting, but Burroughs has got to be, I mean, I don't know what to make of his story. I really don't. He would be called a lech. I mean, a lech, I think is. is... Yeah, no, there's definitely a word for him. There's, there's a word that I kind of like. It's louche, which is like someone who's a, a slime ball, but like in a really attractive way. Right. Be around, right? Even even though yeah. they're a really bad guy, like yeah. And there's an element of that with him, and also with Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. And the funny thing about Burroughs in this book is that you're catching him at a point where he's he's kind of just like a cranky old nutty guy, yeah. right? He's very very right. much like Hunter S. Thompson because those two guys are different from Kerouac Ginsburg, and I think a lot of it has to do with being Southern because mm-hmm. both of them. I think if I remember right, Hunter S. Thompson is from Kentucky originally. Yeah. And Burroughs just seems like a, I don't know, he seems like, is he actually from Texas or Louisiana, wherever he's He's from Missouri. He's from Missouri originally. Okay, Missouri. The the gun thing is a big Mm -hmm. thing, both Burroughs and Thompson. And uh, if I remember, I think Thompson shot himself, right? And I don't actually remember how Burroughs. I don't know if he ever ever shot himself. Burroughs. For I, sure, I'm shot sure, his. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Thompson killed himself. I, I think he shot himself. Oh no, no, oh yeah, oh, I, ending it that way. Yes, yeah, he he yeah. did kill himself. Yes, I thought yeah, you meant just but, accidentally um, shot himself or something. Oh no, 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 not like an accident. But no. Burroughs in the book. Okay, so he's what? What's his name in the in the uh, 57 version? Bully. 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 Right. In the book, he's living with his wife. He's playing with guns all the time while they're over at the yeah. house, and he tells right. a story. He tells a story about a guy he knew who shot his wife. Right. Burroughs murdered his wife not yes. long, like I think before this book was actually published. So this is like a Burroughs is a really dark guy in a way. Yeah, he really is. Kerouac, no, he, he is. I think Kerouac became darker years later, but I don't think he's as dark. And I think Neil Cassidy was almost like like a like a lousy guy. He's a lousy father and a lousy husband, yeah. like, kind of like you know, like a petty criminal and stuff. But I don't really think he's as dark of a character. I think he's more like just something to talk about there is I, I kind of get the impression. I think Neil Cassidy from, from reading the story, I think he might've just been like bipolar or something like that. Mm, yeah. One of those bipolar or what's yeah, the other maybe. one? Borderline, borderline personality disorder or something like that. Yeah. I think he was mentally and it's getting he, worse he, as the story goes on. Yeah. He had, he definitely had a lot of problems. So Burroughs born wealthy and very wealthy, like a super really wealthy family in Missouri goes to Harvard tries to join the army. They won't let him in. Uh, oh, no, no. They'll let him in, but only as infantry or as enlisted not as an officer, even though he's graduated from Harvard. I wonder what the story was there. Like, why? Just because he was such a I don't know. Or... I don't know. Well, I mean, he, he had like an art degree. Maybe it was something like how useful his degree <laughs> was. I don't know. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know if that, um, I don't know if that qualifies you to be commanding men in the field like your yeah. art degree. So his mom gets him out of it. And he, he can't really find a job, can't really find anything after after college. So they just give him a, a lifelong allowance of 200 bucks a month, which was a lot of money at that time. And but so unfor- and unfortunately, he had a heroin habit that was about 200. That was a thing. Yeah, he he, he got he gets into to using morphine. And, morphine. I'm sorry. Yeah, morphine, morphine. Right. And it's probably might have something to do because he tried he tried going to medical school in Vienna for a little while and maybe something to do with that. But 
Yeah, he gets into morphine, but he's also, I guess he was a closeted homosexual. I read a thing that was talking about how Kerouac apparently was bisexual, and so was Neil Cassidy, obviously. But they were talking about they had friends who were open homosexuals like Ginsburg and Burroughs. And I was like, was so, Burroughs so, was he an open homosexual? He's married to a woman. He's not an open homosexual. It's well, he, he was... Uh, he shot one and divorced the other. You're saying, you're saying that's the moment when he's coming out is killing his wife? And... <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> I no, be I mean, he, he had apparently come out. He has a child with one of them. So I don't I don't quite understand that either. I don't know what's yeah. going on with that. But my, my point is like he's he's this rich, spoiled kid who gets hooked on heroin and right. is is just lousy with with terrible crimes that he commits. Right. You know, and it's like it's like sort of the, the classic rich kid crimes. And he's always able to get out of it because his family bails him out. His parents bail him out of everything. Literally, like in Mexico, right. they bail him out. He never stands right. trial for that. Never goes to court for shooting his wife in the head. Is that um, where it happened? It happened down in Mexico? Yeah, in Mexico. Right. He goes to uh, he ends up <laughs> moving to like Morocco. And it's apparently, you know, free open drugs there. And he mm-hmm. runs into trouble with, with with gang members there. So he has to split. He goes to Paris. And then yeah. he gets in trouble for running drugs in Paris. So then he has to go to England. So it's just like one thing after another. The whole time his parents are sending him money. He's never yeah. working. He never works. Not a day in his life other than trying to hustle drugs. He's a writer, Clint. <sighs> yes. That doesn't, that yes. Count as being, doesn't that count as... And the thing is, that, that came along later. And he had a lot of help with from actual writers like Kerouac and Ginsburg and stuff like that. It just, it's one of those things like, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about him. I think you do. I think you do know how to feel about him. I think well, he's, he's, he's fairly I, despicable, I, I guess. Is I my think point. he's a despicable yeah. character. Yeah. And I, I don't mm. think Hunter S. Thompson is much better. Um, mm. I think he is, I think he is better. I think he's not as bad of a person as Burroughs. Burroughs sounds like a real mess. Like I don't, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think some of it probably just has to do with what drug he's involved in. Maybe. Um, because yeah, these maybe guys, so. Kerouac and Cassidy, they're always talking about Benzedrine, which I had to look yeah. up, which is apparently, I guess, speed, essentially. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. So I think that creates a different problems in your life. Yeah. And may, maybe, maybe Cassidy's not bipolar. Maybe he's just sometimes on speed and sometimes not, because apparently that's what he was doing when he died. Some yeah. form yeah. of speed. I don't know what kind, but you, you look, these things come up in books and I looked them up on Wikipedia and they, they show me the, the shape of the organic molecule, like that's supposed to help. Yeah, you'd really have to be a chemist to understand what's going on with the differences between right. these. I actually was really surprised to learn that Kerouac. So this would have been, oh, I don't remember when, but there, it was uh, it was a little bit of a di- uh, of a digression I got into about is is Kerouac gay? And there was a thing where he was hanging around with this guy Lucian Carr, mm, who right. who murdered a dude, yeah, and then Kerouac helped him hide the murder weapon from the murder and then you know was on trial was on trial for it and ended up getting out of it somehow that led to him marrying his first wife and i wasn't 100 percent sure i think she was maybe the alibi or something like that for him and then it turned out uh, i guess lucian carr said that the guy uh, like tried to sexually assault him so that's why he right. killed him and he actually got off for it but that whole story i didn't know anything about that that, that was completely yeah. new to me that's before Neil Cassidy and and all the things that happened on the road. So it's pretty dark, like being involved mm-hmm. in a murder. That's that's not right. I guess I had this picture of Kerouac as being kind of happy-go-lucky and more or less normal most of the time, except when he was yeah. hanging out with Cassidy. And there's there's right. he brings his darkness to the table. Maybe it was just the crowd. I don't know. I mean, there's a so there are kind of like these all these 
this avant-garde type of crowd, you know, with their right. intellectual philosophical debates and conversations and all this other stuff. It was always taking place around like pot. You know, pot being drug pot being the least of it. Pot being the least yeah, of it, right? But but drugs and alcohol, yeah, right? And, absolutely. And like prostitution, and it always sort of took place in these like the low grinder joints, you know, like the mm. the worst parts of town and the worst clubs. There's one. There's one club he talks about that's in on Eighth Avenue in Manhattan in Midtown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can't possibly be there anymore. I was thinking about looking up. I think it was called like the Ross Bar or something like yeah. that. I mean, I know Eighth Avenue pretty well. That's like I live on Eighth Avenue. Like I mm-hmm. walk through that part of time, and I was like, you think I would know that? But I think it's probably been gone for a long time. But it sounded like the kind of sketchy place that just doesn't exist in Midtown Manhattan anymore. <laughs> like, right. you know, couldn't have, couldn't afford to. Yeah. No, there's no way. You just you couldn't have a place like that anymore. If you go over a little bit towards Hell's Kitchen, you can still find some pretty sketchy stuff. I I could tell mm-hmm. you some stories about some sketchy places that I've ended yeah. up in. You were you know what what you were just saying about. Remember we did when we talked about Woody Allen mm-hmm. and we were talking about how he had this like bohemian attitude towards marriage mm-hmm. and sex and like who it's appropriate to date and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, gee, mm-hmm. imagine, imagine that opening up all the boundaries for, you know, sexuality in your life leads to things like sleeping with your adopted daughter, you know, right, right. not knowing, sure. not knowing the parentage of your son, you know, things like that. <laughs> it's right. like these guys in this book. Right. This is the young, attractive part of their life. They're in their twenties. They're they're yeah. traveling all over the country and they're drinking and trying out drugs and everything's all hunky dory and 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 fun. Ten years later, you know, it's a very different story. Yeah, where it the, catches up to you. The chickens kind of come home to roost, you know, yeah. for all this yeah. stuff you're doing. You're like, oh, it's this fun bohemian lifestyle. But then you're like, oh, right. wait a minute, I don't have a roof over my head, and like yeah. I have yeah. different, you know, with four different women all over the country. Right. And, there's kind of a reason for our bourgeois mm-hmm. uh, values of not behaving yeah. like that. You know, like, yeah. None of these guys was a good dad, you know, like at all. Right. It's a good point. I mean, there's something, I guess there's like a romantic notion that I'd be interested to see like how far this goes back. Cause it's more than just a trope in a story. I mean, it's like, there's this romantic notion about the, like the dive bar. You know, we talk about everybody loves a dive bar and there's like this romantic notion about a dive bar. Right. But right. Dive bars can be really freaking scary. Yeah, you know? people get stabbed in dive bars. Yeah, people bars. get stabbed in dive yeah. bars, right? You know, people get mugged. I mean, it, it happens. And they're they're not in good locations. You know, you don't <laughs> no. go to the dive bar in the in the nice no. part of town. You know, hey, let's go up to there's a sweet spot though, right? There's like a um that's why I always liked El Patio in Las Cruces. Right. Because so, okay, El Patio so there's is like a, there's a darkness and there's a danger and there's and this right. stuff sort of stimulates us a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um but but like I but that's it, that's the difference. I never felt like there was any danger at El Patio. Yeah. I felt like it was right at the sweet spot where it wasn't expensive. Yeah. It was a, a group of people who were really interesting to talk to. I would talk mm-hmm. to and you know who would be really the, the sketchiest people would be the old guys. I would talk yeah. to these old guys who were like, oh, yeah, I used to deal heroin and I got involved in the, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the big prison riot up in Albuquerque. I was in the middle of that when I was there. And, well, Jeez, you know, yeah. and those guys were like hard and involved in scary stuff, but they're so yeah. old. I'm not worried about them stabbing me. You know, like we're just having a yeah, right, right. Yeah. I never really felt like I was in any danger there. But at the same time, it was just enough. Like it, it didn't feel like you're at Ruby Tuesdays having a beer, if you know what I mean. Like there's, right. there's a sweet spot in between that that's where I'd like to be. A lot of yeah. places in New York are like that today. Like when you go, my favorite area is like the Lower East Side. And the Lower East Side, I'm actually reading this book right now about the late 90s in New York, about the music mm-hmm. scene. 
Mm-hmm. And the Lower East Side sounded like even then it was still. And in the, and in the seventies and eighties, it would have been terrifying. Like you would have been in danger walking down the street by yourself at night. And it's not like that today. But it's it's kind of in the sweet spot. It's like you go there and it's a little sketchy, you know, but not too bad. It's hard to find that happy medium with a place that's like just interesting enough, but not quite dangerous. I think I think it has something to do with that. Though there's that there's that attraction to danger. And especially if you think about like all of these kids, with the exception of Cassidy, see Cassidy, that stuff was normal for. I mean, robbing right. people and stealing yeah. stuff and yeah. being a drunk. That was his life, right? right. That's what so his father for him, was like. Oh, and so maybe that's why it's such a symbiotic relationship. Because for him, the intellectual simulation, the difference in his life was the the philosophical conversations, right? But right. for the crowd that he was having the philosophical conversations with. The stimulation for them was the danger that he grew up in, right? Right, right. and right. and so there's that's why there's this mutual attraction that makes sense. And, and there's and there's like the and there's the idea of like um, outsider art, you know, like the idea like someone like like Basquiat, who's like yeah. able to mix with the people who are in the highest flying, you know, intellectual circles and stuff. He's not really one of them, but his art and his personality are interesting enough that they hang out with him. But he's a he's a connection to a darker world, like to a lower class right. world. People love that. You know, they like, yeah, you can yeah. be like, oh, my friend, Neil, my friend, Jean-Michel, you know, we got this crazy yeah. guy we hang out with, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that gives you credibility a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, what's funny is, I mean, it's, it's slumming is what it is. We're going to go it slumming is. at the dive bar. We're from Beverly, Beverly Hills. We're going to go over the, you know, yep. go, you know, to Watts, you know, to, to do something. But, but the, at night we're going to go back to Beverly Hills right. and, and that is something about this, you know, Cassidy didn't have anything to go back to. No. All the rest did. Like Kerouac had his mom to go back to. Burroughs had his his parents to always fall back on. Ginsburg was was a well-educated man by this time. I wish and- I wish I knew more about him cuz I don't I don't know what his family was like. It's really interesting to me cuz he's he's younger, right? He he would have been born more like in the 30s cuz he reminds me when I watched this interview with Ginsburg, he looks just like my stepdad. My stepdad really? looks just like Allen Ginsberg. Like really? Two, could be brothers. It was so funny. Wow. Like, and the weird, the thing I noticed about him is he doesn't have a New York accent. Mm, right. My stepdad yeah. would be would be over here, you know, and stuff like like that's yeah. how he talked. Whereas whereas Ginsburg, who's got to be a New York Jew, right? I mean, it's got to. <laughs> I don't actually know yeah. his history, and I'd really like to. Read I think more. I think it's um. So I think he's upstate New York, and um, okay, maybe that's what. It is. And and I think I think one thing about it is i know that his mother was mentally she was institutionalized and his there's a a line in his poem how that references her being locked up at a particularly famous and brutal uh, mental institution i think in new york state bellevue well alan ginsburg's a a whole he's a whole different subject he's a really interesting character too but i think these guys are it's pretty interesting to talk about them all at once i don't know i don't know how many beat generation you know, shows we need to do, but we can talk about, we're sort of talking about all of them all at once, which is actually really interesting. Brings up a question I had for you about Kerouac. Do you think he's important as a writer or is he important as part of this cultural phenomenon that is the beat generation? That's a good question. Cause that's sort of what I was alluding to by, if you pick up any novel, Kerouac had no effect on the written novel. None, generally speaking. I mean, this uh, spontaneous prose and stuff was, it's a, it's an art form that had a moment, just like mm-hmm. any other art form has a moment. But ultimately, right. Stephen King, although, see, you know, 
we could talk about like as we did um, carry, and you know, and it's it's a mm-hmm. kind of a bunch of different. I mean, there's a different approach that he took, but you look at his novels, and it's generally how a novel is built. There's a beginning, yeah. there's an end, stuff in the middle, climax. There's an epistolary, the hero, there's an epistolary yeah. thing going on there, but otherwise, right. it's pretty much a standard. But thing. I mean, it's not. So I think what happens is we celebrate people who do something differently and can expand. You know, whether we use it or not, and it doesn't have to live forever. I mean, Hemingway like the, the whole lost generation movement had a certain right. way of writing and so forth. And that, and that fell out of style and then a, a different one sort of replaced it. So, yeah, but that did, that did become, there's definitely a difference between the writing of Edith Wharton and Stephen yeah. King and Hemingway. Well, is true. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like writing short declarative statements that get the point yes. across. The point right. is to get I mean, the point across, not to be. Yeah. Flowered. It was, yeah, it was minimalism. It was minimalism. And, and then Faulkner, I think Faulkner's the guy. Nobody talked about that when I'm reading about Kerouac. I didn't hear them mention Faulkner one time. Mm-hmm. But when you read Faulkner, that first chapter of The Sound and the Fury is all stream of consciousness. And I'm like, how is that not affecting Jack Kerouac? It's got to be. Right. Faulkner's a respected novelist. Maybe because he, maybe because he, I think there's a bit of a mythos too, though, because there's a whole story with Kerouac. And you sort of mentioned that as well. Right. That's what so I'm saying. Is it a cultural one, phenomenon or is he a great writer? I, I think I think it's well, I don't know about great writer. I think I would have to go with cultural. I would have to really go with more cultural phenomenon. As the whole beat movement movement was, I mean, as interesting as it is, I wouldn't want to hang out with any of these people. Oh, I would <laughs> I would definitely want to hang I not I wouldn't want to make them my best friends and be my friends all the time. But if if they called me tonight, I'd go out for drinks with uh, Alan Ginsburg and Jack. No, this, I think I think I think you 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 start going down a dark hole when that happens. You don't have if I was, to. <laughs> if I was in a, if I was in a bar, I'd have a conversation with them, and that would yeah. be interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but I would not want to go and hang out with these people. I, I have you to. Ad- you don't you I don't have, know where it would lead. You know. No, well, I have to admit, moving to New York and actually just throughout my life, I've always had this idea. Wouldn't it be awesome if I had a bunch of crazy friends, like mm-hmm. interesting, fascinating, artistic people to hang out with? It never ends up happening. I don't know if I'm just a giant <laughs> nerd. I don't meet people, but I never ends up like, we, no, we had, we had a good crew and cruises for a little bit, like four guys that hung out all the time. And it was fun. It was like, but it, I think all of us were getting to that point in different ways. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like especially yeah. not, not so much me and you, me and you were the same guys we were. But one of us was like had just been divorced, so he was crazier than yeah. he usually was. And the other right. guy was a crazy person having a having a <laughs> lucid period. So, so we, yes. yeah, that's true. We found him in the lucid period. Yeah, that's true. Like there's a there's a time in your life when and you I mean you put your finger right on it. Like on the road, written when they're all like 23, 24 years old. You don't have a lot right. of responsibilities. You, you have freedom from pretty much everything. Cassidy had freedom from everything. Because he just well, wouldn't accept responsibility for anything. He wouldn't accept. I was going to say he shouldn't know. have had. Um, he had lots of responsibility. And, right, and and back then they didn't have the mechanisms that they did now. Now they can garnish your wages, track you down, mm-hmm. throw you in jail, stuff like that. I saw this change in my own personal life mm-hmm. because one of my first big on the road road trips. Right, I went. I drove out west all the way across the country with friends, and we hit some of the same places from on the road because we all love this book. Mm-hmm. So we're up. We're in L.A. And my friend gets a speeding ticket and he's like, oh man, like I really can't afford to pay the speeding ticket. And he was like a hundred dollars, mm. which is blood money when you're 20 years old, you know? Yeah. So we were just like, it's California. What are they going to do? Crumpled up the ticket, threw it away. Never heard from him. Never, it, it never came back. Never came right. back to, to bite us in any way. <laughs> so, right. so years later, my friend is in the air force in Wichita falls. And he's like, I need you to drive my car 
bring it to me. So I have the car on the base. Nobody else has a car on the base. So can you bring it? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. I, I like a road trip. So I, he has this nice Mitsubishi Eclipse and I drive all the way across the country to bring it to him. And I'm going through St. Louis. I go to the zoo. I park in the, in the, in forest park and I go, I go to the zoo. We get out and there's a ticket, a, a parking ticket. And I was like, wow, whatever. It's like a $50 ticket. I'm like, I crumbled oh, up. And away. Cause I'm like, cause I'm like, whatever. They, they can't find me. I, I live in a completely different part of the country. <laughs> I forgot that this was in 2003 and they've got and it was your buddy's car. So from 1997 to 2003. So my friend gets this ticket for like $300 that like uh, built up, you know, cause they couldn't find him for a long time yeah. and they sent him to a collection agency and stuff. Oh, he tell me, he didn't even tell me about it until years later. Cause he was so glad I brought him his car that he was just <laughs> like, whatever, I'll pay. But it was funny yeah. to watch that actually change to go from the yeah. world of Jack Kerouac, where you could you could commit a crime in California, and nobody would ever find you. Yeah, to yeah. like a simple internet search, like, and then you've got a parking. Thing. Things certainly change, man. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I, I had a blast. I had I had I had so much fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I was married. I got married young, but we had we had a good time. You know, we traveled all over, but we could do it cheap. We're really concerned with like what's a cheap hotel we could stay at where we won't get killed. You know, we, we didn't, we could live with roaches and stuff like that, but you're, you're looking uh, at a sweet spot, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we'd go to a dangerous spot or someplace that we could, could drink at for cheap or eat for cheap, you know, all those other things, things change. You grow older, you know, you value other things over that sort of danger and just like hedonistic fun. And you know what, just for anybody that's listening, I, I still do enjoy a little bit of hedonistic fun. I, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, if you want to debauch yourself. You know, hit up David in New York City. You'll, there you go. Exactly. You'll find your debauchery in no time. But that, yeah, that's just something I was thinking about. Like, would I be friends with any of these people? Probably not. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, what I was going to ask you before is like, what did the what effect did the book have on you? But, you know, when, mm. you're, when you're younger and things like that. And I can tell you what it had for me is mm-hmm. I read the, I read this. I think I might have been 16 or 17 the first time I read the book. So I'm at one place in my life where I'm reading it. And then a lot of the adventures I had in my 20s were inspired by this book. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do them all. And then you get to the end of it and you even kind of forgot that that's what inspired it in the first place. Yeah. Now, as an old guy going back and reading this book, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it from a completely different lens. I'm like on the other side of these adventures, I'm I'm criticizing these guys and how they behave. But also yeah. at the same yeah. time, it's vividly bringing back memories of the mm-hmm. adventures I lived having been inspired by this book. It's a weird circle. There yeah. literally things they're talking about in the book where I'm remembering, Oh, that's right. I went to this place and you know, it was from, it was from this book. Like there's, there's some little town down in, in on the panhandle of Florida called Flomatone. And I remember driving through Flomatone with my friends and being like, that was in on the road, this, this crappy little town. <laughs> right. Uh, it just from, it brought back a vi- I haven't thought about that trip in years you know just brought mm-hmm. it back very vividly it's interesting right you mentioned las cruces a couple of times by the way i saw that yeah el paso and it, it made me think not mm. just el paso but specifically las cruces they're talking right. about they're driving back east and mm-hmm. they get to las cruces and all of a sudden neil has this inspiration to drive north to denver because mm-hmm. it's the you know obviously it's the junction and it right. dawned on me i was like oh the name of the city is like a across. is a double entendre it's a crossroads yeah. And right, it's the right. city of the cross. I never, yeah, never thought of that. I lived there for yeah. six years. It never occurred to me. <laughs> never dawned again. The city yeah. functions as a crossroads as well right. as being city of, of three crosses. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. I, uh, <laughs> I, listened to, I listened to some jazz while I was reading, mm-hmm. while I was reading the book. Nice. And then 
I listened to Lionel Hampton, Central Avenue mm. Break. I, I listened mm-hmm. to George Shearing, and I don't get it. George Shearing sucks. I, I don't. That's not jazz. <laughs> he's like a good pianist, but not interesting mm. at all. He's like this right. English guy. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like an English guy who's really good at playing yeah. the piano. Yeah. I listened to Lionel Hampton doing one of these like improv things, and I was thinking, now if I was listening to this and writing, mm. I could I could feel the connection between the free form of jazz and the free form of the mm. way he's writing. When I listened to that, right. I was okay, I could I could listen to this for hours and write just constantly, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not so much George Shearing. I'm not not a fan, but you know. <laughs> I'll um, say, you know, I was I was really privileged. I was just I was just thinking about this. So I grew up in the 80s, 90s, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and the border between, you know, Mexico and 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 the US. El Paso, Texas is right on the border. Uh, literally, right. the river separates El Paso from Juarez. Did you ever go to Juarez while you were here? Did you ever get the chance? I did, yeah. Just a handful okay. of times. Just, just, like, um, just like day trips. I never never got to explore it the way I wanted to. But Yeah. Well, you know, it's dangerous to explore it the way you wanted to. See, I had my, – my generation yeah. had, had that ability. When I was 17, I was going to Juarez. You guys had it at the sweet yeah. spot, and then, and then it yeah. went past the sweet then, spot. Then it went crap, yeah. Uh, so when we were 17 – like me and all my classmates would go down Thursday nights, go down to Juarez, Mexico, go to drink right. and drowns. You could spend five bucks at any number of clubs and drink all night, watered down booze and, and lousy, you know, terrible music. But it, we were in Mexico. Wait, I thought you said, I thought you said they played uh, the cure all the time. Well, I should say the lousy uh, sound system is what I should say. Oh, okay. I mean, it was like, like the bass was, you know, Get that, get that on, on for the for the listeners out there. That oh yeah, yeah. Effects, yeah. You know what? Um, it, it reminds me. One of my favorite parts of this book is when they go to Mexico, mm. and I actually couldn't remember before I started reading this again. I couldn't remember whether they go to Mexico in on the road. I thought maybe it was in one of the other ones. They spend more time in Mexico. But anyway, that scene where they where they're driving down through Mexico. That's yeah, something. Yeah. I took a bus trip one time all the way from Galveston, Texas, down to Mexico City. Actually, down to Guatemala. Uh-huh. And I so I did kind of, but I always wanted to do a road trip, like drive yeah. through Mexico, and I've never done it. That's the one thing that's still, and maybe maybe it's past. Maybe I'm too old to do something like that yeah. now. But I would have well, loved. Well, things it. have changed. My, my wife and I drove from south of Tucson, Arizona. Is it called Nogales? That's Nogales. Down yeah. to essentially Guaymas, Mexico, which is on the Baja there. Oh, that's um, cool. And stayed in a little fishing village uh, for our honeymoon. We were able to for five hundred bucks. I mean, this is what you could do in right, nineteen ninety-seven, right. I guess, for five hundred dollars. I think you. I think you told the whole story when you said nineteen. When you started with 19, <laughs> yeah, nineteen, right? Things are not the but same. Nineteen ninety-seven for five hundred dollars, we were able to drive down to the the Baja and stay at a fishing village for a week and eat shrimp every every day. For, yeah, that's for amazing. Dinner, garlic shrimp and drink all we wanted. Question out is, party. The question is, why did you leave? Why did you go? Home? I know, right? Yeah, because we were done. I mean, that's so. So I was privileged. I got to see a lot of that stuff growing up on the border uh, because Mexico. I mean, it was. A, I was about to say it was a different country. Yeah, it was a different country back then. Different country from what it is today. <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. thinking about this the other night. Uh, there was a time we, me and some buddies, we'd all go down there on Thursday. So it was me and probably about five, about four other friends, a group of about five of us. We would go, we would start off the night on one of the off strip little bars because the, the strip bars were all like the dance clubs and stuff. And they're all the drink and drowns. But we would like to start the night off by going to one of the off strip places by a street behind one of the strips, you know, either side of the strip. Okay. And those places were, this is that sort of 
romantic dark area that I was talking about. Like the, the streets weren't really lit very well. Uh, it was just yeah. kind of a doorway. You'd hear music through it and you'd see a bard. So you'd kind of walk in. There's a bar the shape, the size of a closet and you have to step over. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. And, and so there's, and these places, you know, they, they, so it was a place that we could just go sit down like at a lounge and have a few beers before we went to the dance club. It kind of made us feel like grownups because we're all 17 yeah. years old. So we find one of these places and we walk in and we realize right, right away, oh, this is a different place. This one has girls in it. And oh, immediately, yeah. as soon as we sit down, immediately all these girls scoot in next to us. We're in a booth and they all scoot in next to you. Yep. Yep. I've had, that, like, we had that exact same experience and, in TJ. And they're, they're like, uh, I'll buy us a drink. And their drinks all cost like 20 bucks each. And right. so we're like, uh, no, we're not really into that because we'd already ordered beers. <laughs> we- also, and, we don't and, have $20 between us. Yeah, we, we basically, yeah, this is all we got. So we ordered like a beer for a buck fifty, except for one of our friends, who by this oh. time was feeling pretty good. Okay, He's sitting there chatting up the girl next to him, buys her a drink, and we're oh. like, uh, Mike, what are you doing? Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, chef, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking to this pretty girl here. There's always a mic. Yeah, I'm talking to this pretty girl here. And we're like, oh, man. So we finished our beers. We're like, I don't want to order another beer. Let's get out of here. Like, Mike, we got to split, man. Let's go. He's like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. And we're like, come on, Mike. He's like, okay, fine. Let's go. And uh, we're like, all right. So we get up to leave. Mike just told us that so we'd leave him alone. So we all get up to leave and start going out the door. Oh, and boy. just as we get out the door, we turn and Mike's still in the booth, right? The guy at the door, you know what he does? Oh, boy. Closes the door. So you guys can't leave or so Mike can't leave? So we can't get gotta... back in. So we can't get back oh, in and get Mike. Boy. And we said, hey, hey, our buddy's in there. Dude whips out a knife. And we're like, okay, Mike, you're on your own. <laughs> so so was we it, were they just were they rolling him or was it just like a prostitution? Well, they want it was a prostitution thing. They wanted okay, to give well, Mike the as chance long as it, to as long as the yeah. knife is not there, if it's just make Mike waste his money, that's not <laughs> he showed back up about an hour <laughs> later or so. He never really told us what happened. He was really quiet the rest of the night. And yeah. he need and he needed us to buy his buy his beers the rest of the night. Oh, so man. it was yeah. it was this place. I'll tell you because I just I, I was just thinking of the details of this place. It was super dark and a metal metal door on it, no windows. It was like red uh, red lighting inside. Oh, yeah. why, I don't stuff. understand why wouldn't you have gone into that right? place? That seems now like to such get into this, to get into this place. <laughs> the doorstep between the doorstep and the sidewalk, there was like this little. Almost a threshold between the door and the sidewalk, because between the door and the sidewalk was a free flowing gutter. There's no grates over it. It's not a pipe. Oh. It's just a it's a cement trench with stuff flowing through it. And you can imagine yeah. the stuff flowing. Oh. And so you walk over this little bridge to get from the sidewalk to the uh, It's literally Kerouac describes a bar just like that. It's really Yeah, funny. exactly. It was like that's why I was just like, oh my gosh. My my big my first big road trip ninety seven we went to uh-huh. we went to TJ we crossed we were down in San Diego we crossed over to TJ we'd never had a beer like we were we were twenty we'd never had a beer like out in a public place yeah, I'd sure, never been allowed sure. to buy a beer so we go to this little bar and we sit down it was like like a semicircle table semicircle yep. booth and I'm sitting and I'm on the outside of one of my other friends is on the outside but there's two guys on the inside of the booth and I'm sitting there and this like chubby girl comes and like plops <laughs> down next to me and i'm yeah. just like oh god like i'm like That's yeah you're like oh no i'm like trying to drink the beer really fast and go and yeah. my friends on the inside don't notice they're like 
They're like, let's get another beer. Why don't we? And I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) You're the one stuck with the smell of uh, sweat and cigarettes next to you. You know, I was just very uncomfortable with the situation. I was just like, this is not what I signed. I wanted to have a beer. legal beer for the first time in my life yeah and there were other places that we got to that was i mean that was that was the only time that happened because there were other places that we'd gone to that were really cool and it was just like that it was more of a lounge you walk in there are a bunch of tables they had a jukebox and you could just sit down and you have to, didn't have to worry about dancing didn't have to worry about girls or anything like that you sat down order a bucket of beer for the table and right. this was just i think we went to this place because the two other places like had really long lines and we didn't want to wait in line we're like hey let's just go find another bar yeah that was a mistake so oh, that was the first okay. and only time that happened. Yeah, we didn't make a habit of that. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah. so. No, I, um, I went, I was in Nuevo Laredo in 2004. Uh-huh. I went out and we had this wonderful time. We met a bunch of like nice, like made friends with local kids, like Mexican kids and just had a like a blast. Went home. That was like right before all the border towns became shooting galleries, like the next year. So I think I just wow. barely made it to Mexico. Yeah. And it was still okay for American kids to like wander around the streets. And <laughs> right. I had one oh, experience man. of like a really fun time there. And then that was that was it. So like we just, yeah, we, just we, went around, we had a couple of drinks. We bought tacos late at night. It was fun. It was it was a nice yeah, visit. We were, we were really lucky. I mean, it, we we had the danger that we had was from the police. Right. Because the police would roll you for any reason. This one kid about spit on the, literally spit on the sidewalk in front of these police. And they're like, Ooh. hey, hey, come here. Next thing you know, they're like all surrounding them and questioning them. And right. he was, I recognized the kid from school. Oh, I, 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 I didn't know his name though. Was, wasn't no, it wasn't with, with us. Like, no. Yeah. And so we're walking by and I look at him and I, I recognize him and he recognized me. And this cop says, you know, this guy. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I just kept walking. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's what a harsh. jerk thing to do. Yeah. That's a Cassidy move yeah. there. But no, uh, you were no, you were going to get involved in something you don't want to be involved yeah. in. And, I was and actually so, talking about because they had an incident where they got shaken down by the police down uh-huh. in uh, was it Virginia? I think it was in Virginia, mm-hmm. right? Like somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere east, wow. somewhere west of Richmond. And I was thinking about how that's definitely something you don't catch too much in America in you know the modern day. Like yeah. I yeah, well, thank, I've been thanks all to over, body cams. Huh? I've been all over the place, and I I one time we got a ticket. We were driving through a little town in Montana, and I specifically remember saying to my friend, slow down. These little towns will give you tickets for going through. And he was like, ah. And he drives like 60 through downtown. And sure enough, uh, he gets popped. Uh-huh. The guy writes a ticket, and he's like, "We're not. you're not leaving. You're either going to jail or you're paying you gotta pay it right, right now. now. Yeah. Which is the closest thing to a shakedown I've ever had. But we yeah. did actually speed. It wasn't yeah. quite a shakedown. Right. They do that in Texas, too, out in the middle of nowhere. Because they have um, justice of the peace out there, which is this position that anybody can get. Like if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're just some dude, like you could, I think, run and become a justice of the peace. It's a county or a little section. I don't know how they section it out. Parish maybe, something like that. But it's like five people in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you get busted. And so you have to go at that moment in front of the justice of the peace yeah, and get and pay your fine right there. It was like right out. Actually, that was out of Mayberry. I mean, right out of Mayberry. It happened to a buddy of mine. I've heard, so. I've heard about stuff like that. I had, I got pulled over one time I was driving. This is a long time before I moved out West, but we were driving through, we were East of El Paso, mm-hmm. you know, wherever. I can't even remember what the, like Fort Stockton's like the next town or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Driving on I-10 very early in the morning. Cause we had driven all night and I, I just get pulled over. 
I'm, I literally had the, I, it was a 70 mile per hour zone and I had it on cruise control mm-hmm. and I might've been going 72 and the guy pulls me over. I mean, I'm in the middle of no, you've been out there. It's 300 miles before you hit another human being, much less a town. Yeah. And the guy pulls me over and I'm like, okay, so he's just messing with me. But he comes up and he's like, where are you going in such a hurry? And it was such a dumb question that I almost mm-hmm. flubbed it. I almost was just like, I, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, <laughs> what, the, what do you mean? What hurry? I'm going, I'm yeah. going the speed limit. That's not a hurry. Yeah. Right. But I realized he was just shaking me down, like to check and see if we were, I don't know, couriering drugs or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It was or maybe he'll get lucky and you're maybe he'll get lucky and you're drunk or something. Or yeah, I mean, I don't really, I didn't really understand what it was about. It was just we were kids yeah. in the car, you know. Yeah. So yeah, of course. And then, but the one time I did get shaken down, I was actually in Prague, and I was driving along. And I get pulled over and the guy claimed I was driving in a bus lane. And that's all I could understand because he only spoke Czech. And so I realized I was like, and he didn't speak English. This is a long time ago, back before the whole world could speak English. And so I was like, do you speak German? And he's like, yeah. So I managed to con- to tell him in German that I would give him $20 if he would just let us go. And so he he took the $20 and let us go and didn't give me. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I was like, I, I drove away from him. I was like, did I just bribe a cop? In <laughs> you did. Like, like, you did. You can I check that one that. off your list. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I think I could, uh, I think I could probably get away with that in a court of law. Cause I'd be like, I don't really speak German. What do you, you know? Like, what are you talking about? But, right. But anyway. So the two things that we haven't done, I need to vote and uh, we need well, to figure no, we out a surprise. We need to, we I was going to say, we need to figure out, figure yeah. out our biggest surprise. So, my biggest surprise, uh, this is a stupid one. I was surprised at how much those I, are the best. I, those are the best yeah. surprises, by the way. I was surprised at how much I disliked Neil Cassidy's character. And and I think it's I, sorry, before we get into that, and this is about Neil Cassidy, so it's not that yeah. parenthetical. What's going on with the way Jack Kerouac feels about Neil Cassidy? Is it gay? Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. And that's one because, of the things I was gonna talk. That was one of the things I, I was gonna mention. It. Yeah, I don't see yeah. anything that happens in the text of the book that there's no physical relationship between them i don't think but it's the obsession with the guy like if i write if i ever write a novel about somebody and i say like basically this dude is my muse that's mm-hmm. weird that's that's a weird yeah. relationship to right. have maybe it's something that people feel about each other and they and they just kind of don't admit it or something like maybe, that maybe I, I don't know i mean it's it, a weird i think i think it has something to do with the fact that this guy is so footloose and fancy free so bohemian Okay, the only remorse he has is like when he hurts Kerouac's feelings or when he starts thinking about his dad and he starts crying, you know, right. things like that. Like, And so Kerouac sees like this emotional side. Oh, he's, he's actually really sweet. But he has no problem, you know, knocking girls up left and right. He, he'll, he'll sit there and marry some chick and ask, you know, see if a friend wants to sleep with her. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, and then, yeah. and then the same night, Go with a girlfriend. He is a complete dirtbag, complete dirtbag. And so you're saying, so you're saying it's not really like a homoerotic connection. It's like being obsessed with the just freedom of this dude. Yeah, he's like, look at him, look at him. how weird, he's like and free a, he is. He's like a paragon of like just freedom, just like do, Maybe. do whatever. He wants. Yeah, I think muse is a good good term, but there's something else. It's like this guy is. I mean, Dante um, Dante has a muse. It's a chick, and and he wants actually yeah. weirdly weirdly enough. Beatrice, the same name yeah, as the Mexican yeah. girl. That's interesting. Same name as the Mexican but, girl. The character. It, so, it's definitely I mean, sexual. I mean, Dante definitely yeah. wants to have sex with Beatrice. There's no question right. about it. Okay, so so Cassidy is is 100 in. There is yeah. no 
Yeah, ego, superego, that's id. Yeah, it's all it pleasure, right. all pleasure-seeking right. hedonism. So maybe Kerouac, coming from a structured past and environment and future. and But also, but but future. Future is because he craves it. He craves the domesticity to some extent. And he craves yes. structure in his life. Yeah, he always goes back to it. He always goes he always back goes to back it. To it right? He goes back and to his mother. And, he goes back but, to his So mother. here's this guy. Married, you know. So it might be the whole slumming thing, like taken to an extreme example. I, and I think that's part of what attracted everybody to Cassidy. Here's this guy who legitimately did everything that, that we te- that we sort of flirt with. Every now and then, like, we, oh, I got drunk and I passed out on the street the other day. Oh, my God. I can't believe that. Now I have a story for the next 20 years. This guy grew up like that, right? He does it every night. And, uh, hey, can you believe we, we stole this guy's car? We gave it back to him. But then there's this guy who steals cars. You know, well, you remember, you remember Tortilla Flats? And yes, how it's sort of exactly. like, the, like the appeal of the book is yes. like, look at these freaking guys. They never do anything. They just drink yes. all the time. Yeah, they just drink all the time. And, you know, it's like figure out, like figure out ways to ruin each other's lives and stuff. I think when I was younger, I sort of, I didn't, I don't know if I ever like really liked him as a character, or as a person, but I found myself like yeah. just, just like, oh, I just can't yeah, stand I, this guy. I never, I never you know? liked Neil. I never liked Dean Moriarty. I never liked Neil Cassidy. I, I I found Kerouac appealing mm-hmm. in the book, and obviously yeah. this is his. This is his book. He wrote this, yeah. so clearly he comes right. across as more appealing. I think because, yeah. and I, I identified with Kerouac quite a bit in terms of the way he thought, in terms of you know, like being a smart guy. Like you, you know, you like to read and you like you like intellectual things, but you like to get out there and adventure and enjoy the world. And mm-hmm. I just kind of, but when I learn about his whole life, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not like this guy at all. I'm not, I'm yeah, not, right, I'm not yeah. built this way. I, even yeah. Kerouac has too much, too much disregard for the important things in life. And right. But also, but also seems to be a gigantic alcoholic. Yes. In a podcast yeah. about, about drinking. <laughs> yeah. This guy, this guy's an alcoholic. I mean, this is so well, you can, you can, relationship you can go, go too far with anything. And that includes alcohol yeah, for exactly. sure. I mean, he died of, he had cirrhosis of the liver. Had a had a, uh, a esophageal hemorrhage. Mm, and killed, right? it, it, well, his his blood wouldn't clot because of the cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. You know, had had he had a healthy liver, he probably he might have survived because they put they put blood back into him to replace all the blood that he was losing. But uh, it wouldn't do anything; it just kept flowing out of him, right? Because it would never it would never stop. His liver was destroyed. And he was, uh, if I remember right, he was forty seven. 47 years old. I was thinking about that. I made it past October and it was October 16th, something like that. It was October. Oh, Oh, no. Hold on. I can tell you right here. Hold on. It was October of 68 or 69 when he died. So it's like almost exactly. Maybe let's try to release this. Maybe, you know, oh, oh, this is going to come out. October 20th. October 20th, 1969. So this this episode is going to come out or the first half of this episode is going to come out. Uh, pretty close to the date and then yeah. the second one be right around that date as well so that's appropriate i, don't, I hadn't really thought about right. that that does make a certain <laughs> amount of sense so your biggest surprise is you're changing feelings about neil yes essentially yeah and it's not just changing because like i said i never it's not that i never really liked him it's just now i dislike him and i, I don't right. think i ever had that feeling before like like this guy's a real a-hole like you know yeah. I, I could i would like if i were part of that group i'd be like dude what what's going on man you know, you no, he's a kids, you know. So he's a bad, his life is not lived properly. But when I'm reading yeah. it, I really do kind of see somebody who is not just like a bad dude, but who has serious problems. Like, yeah, I wouldn't I think you're right. Shoes. Yeah. I, I think, I think he's been just raised horribly. And yeah, 
you know, he's a very bright guy who has none of the right equipment for being a really bright guy. Like he's just right. living, living the wrong kind of life. And yeah, think has some kind of a mental disorder. They say borderline and bipolar personalities come from people who are abandoned by their parents. And it right. seems like that's what he dealt with was being abandoned mm -hmm. by his father. He was obsessed with his father. It's just kind of tragic, right? Like Neil's story right. is kind of tragic and Kerouac is somewhat tragic, but seems to me to have more agency in his life ending up crappy. Like he could have yeah. made different choices and maybe sure. I'm a little more judgy about Kerouac, I guess is what I'm saying. Although I still, yeah. find, I still find him attractive as a person, not, not, not in a gay way. Not, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not being Kerouac for Cassidy is what I'm saying, but oh, is although, me, is me. although all these guys, very handsome, I have to say. So pictures of him. Yeah. It was like, it was like Kerouac's like got this really interesting look to him. Like it's very, uh, and then Ginsburg, Ginsburg is a huge nerd. Like, <laughs> looks like looks like yeah. if you went to go play D D on a Tuesday night, if Ginsburg shows he's your, up. He's your guy. Huh? Yeah, that's one. Of you, that's probably the yeah, yeah. You know, to my surprise, it's kind of I'm kind of vying for two different things. Uh -huh. How much of a French Canadian Jack Kerouac was mm. is surprising to me. I mean, to the I knew he was of French descent. I didn't realize French was his primary language. Right, and that is fascinating to me because. I used to have this theory and I thought about putting together some kind of a book or an essay about it, but, and this is going to sound like a weird jump, but Hitler mm -hmm. is like the apotheosis huh. of Germanness, right? But he's mm -hmm. Austrian. Right. And Napoleon is like the apotheosis of being French, but is Corsican. He's Corsican. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost as if these people who are sort of outsiders are the perfect people to understand the soul of a nation in a weird sort of way. And Kerouac's writing is very much about understanding the American soul and some of the yearning yeah. of the American soul. And maybe his position as outsider strength in that. There's there's a lot of, I think maybe we talked about this with Annie Hall, but there's a lot of the, the New York Jewish guy as the outsider observing American society, being one of the mm. most brilliant observers of American society because he's sort right. of an outsider. Not really an right. outsider, definitely American, but so that was kind of surprising to me. I mean, the, the fact that he grew up speaking French, like as his primary language till he was a teenager is yeah. fascinating to me for a writer, for a person who's a master craft, craftsperson of the English language to not be mm -hmm. a native English is really interesting. But the other, the other thing that's really surprising to me is ironically, because I'm reading the scroll for the first time is right. to find out what a process there was in writing the book and how much it God. wasn't. He didn't just sit down and write the book over 20 days. That's yeah. not what happened. That right. did technically happen with the scroll, but he was agonizing over this novel for years mm -hmm. before he sat down and wrote the scroll. It was the style that was really the revelation that, that mm -hmm. happened and, and produced the novel. Um, right. And to me, that's that's really surprising because there's there's this mythos that it was this, you know, it sprang forth fully formed from his brow like Athena with mm -hmm. Zeus. You know, like mm -hmm. that's not what happened. It, you know, maybe to some extent because he thought about it for such a long time. I guess that's probably the metaphor there, isn't it? With Athena. Oh, so. Yeah. Is that you think about it for such a long time think and it. then it springs yeah. forth fully formed. Think okay. It. Never sure. mind. Actually, it's actually a perfect metaphor for what happened here. Is that yeah. he thought about it for a really long time, then sat yeah. down at the typewriter over 20 days and it did spring forth almost right. fully formed. But even then there was this huge process of editing that gives us the 57 right. novel that we that we grew up reading. But that's really surprising to me. It's not as improvisational as it seemed. That's a, that's that's a really good point. That's really interesting to me. That I think that really surprised me. In terms of, I probably should make some opening statements about arguing that it's a classic. I'm not anticipating a lot of pushback about the classicity of this novel. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really important book. 
I think this is a book, like we said, we don't even know whether it's important as a book or whether it's important as a cultural phenomenon, because it clearly mm -hmm. created this whole class of artists in America. That's pretty important. And that's right there probably has a claim to classic status. But I, somebody, one of the people that I read that was criticizing the book said something uh, about how he wasn't sure that this would qualify as a novel, that it was just kind of not, not as mean as like Truman Capote saying it was just typing, not writing, but saying, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a novel, but it's really important. And I was thinking, yeah, that I, I agree. I don't think this fits the structure of a novel in any way. I don't mm -hmm. think anything about this book, except the fact that it's published between two hard pieces of paper and is 300 yeah. pages. <laughs> right. It made me think it's a novel because there's no structure mm -hmm. to it. Right. Yeah. A novel has to answer certain. It's definitely literature, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just, you can't, you don't just read it on its surface. It's not a comic book, right? Mm -hmm. There's themes, there's all sorts of stuff to discuss about what's going on. But a lot of it is interacting with the personal stories of everybody. If you didn't know mm -hmm. anything about these people, just read this book, maybe it wouldn't mean so much. So that's kind of strange. I don't know what that says about it. But I mean, I think the influence of this book, I don't even have terribly well-prepared statements about the classicity of this book because I think it's mm -hmm. just clearly classic. So I sure. guess I'm just going to go ahead and lob it up to you and let you let you handle it in that sense. Right. Well, uh, let's see. Here I go. Yeah, there's not a lot of question. I think I think what seals it is all the stories that we were talking about there about Juarez and about Tijuana and, and all these other things. Those things are stories because of this book. You know, this book is is the one that sort of makes those into something viable, right? And, and it creates a romanticism around these anecdotes and around mm -hmm. these these memories and so forth and it's the reason why kids want to go on road trips and you know it's and i don't i mean in the a teenager won't say yeah I want, to, I want to do that because I'm on the road i mean they're not all nerds like you but it's the spirit hey. that i'm oh, sorry it's the spirit that that the book sort of captures i think it's, you could have it's made that it's a, you could have made that first person plural <laughs> sorry you know it's one of those almost it's not oh, maybe it is universal i don't know i don't know if it, if it transfers cultures or not i mean there is a wanderlust that that here's, kids have, and, a, and I don't. And, I don't um, mean to. Let me, let me parenthetical you here. Mm -hmm. Is this so? I think it's universal, but I think it's universal for men. Is this a male book? Mm. Do women mm. get this at all? Is this? Is I don't this, know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't because there's a lot of feminist pushback about this book, and yeah. and for good yeah. reason. No, that's because true. Women get that's treated, true. Women get treated like crap. The women are marginalized. Yeah, they do. That doesn't mean it's not great literature. This might just be a book right. of the male mind to some extent. Well, I think that's a, that's a different conversation. For I don't sure, think this right? book has any claim to being universal to the human. I think it, it might have a claim to be universal to men. I think, I think perhaps, yeah, perhaps, maybe so. That's a better way to put it. But I think based on just, I mean, based on everything you said, but with that sort of as the topping, yeah, absolutely, I'm toasting this classic for sure. Okay, what I do you think, think of the uh, rusty nail? Are you enjoying the rusty nail? Yeah, I'm on my second one. I, I need to stop because I got to go. Yeah, I'm on my second one. As I got well. to go split here have in you, a minute. Have you had a rusty nail before? I don't think I have, you know, in, in all my years. I've had Drambuie before and I've had it in other drinks. I, I just couldn't I've remember never, what I've never had Drambuie. I've never had a rusty yeah. nail at all. This, this is all new to me. So, Have you tried Drambuie just by itself? Did you try yeah. a little bit? First, oh, time okay. you should... First time I was ever aware of what Drambuie is. Try so. try just, just do a splash over the rocks. I think, um, you know, it's really, it's pretty sweet. Well, like liqueurs in general. I was thinking yeah. it's like amaretto, yeah. but it, it doesn't taste like amaretto, but it tastes like a liqueur. It's sweet. Well, no, it is it is 80 proof, so it's as strong as liquor. Yeah. Normal liquor is. So 
Yeah, uh, well, LaCour, I, can tell you, I can tell you by when I look around the room right now and the way my eyes are tracking things, I can tell yeah. you there's quite a bit of alcohol in what I just drank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What you did is you put you put 80 proof liquor in, in other 80 proof liquor is all you did. So it's basically yeah. you, you got two shots of stuff. It's in just there, a so. question of how much 80 proof liquor you drank. <laughs> That's exactly no, right. There's no dilution principle. That's right. So you decided Sorry? you're toasting. I am toasting. So this I am is toasting. Unanimous. Yeah. Okay, that sounds yeah. good. So we solved another one for the day. So yeah, this there there was not a lot of drama here. I I literally want to pick something in the middle. I want to pick something. Yeah. I want to take a risk. Controversial. Let's, let's, let's do the next cycle of things that we go through. Let's commit to choosing things that maybe the other guy is not going to like. Okay. Like let, let, right. let's pick some things. Let's let's see whether they're let's let's find something that's in that sweet spot between classic okay. and not a classic. Okay. I try to you know challenge ourselves because lately we've just been like Joshua Tree. Yeah, of course we yeah. like Joshua Tree. What are we? <laughs> right. like that, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, Let's we'll do that. We'll do that. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So, so I think we're done. Uh, Toasting the classics has certified on the road as a hood classic, and we are drinking to it. And that's right. My name is Dave MacArthur. I want to say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. My name is Clint Lanier. Thank you, everybody, and uh, please buy my book called uh, Ted Mac and America's. First Black-Owned Brewery, The Rise and Fall of People's Beer, available at Amazon and everywhere they sell sold fine books. Is it sold like as a hard copy book? Can I go to a bookstore and purchase this book in person? Or is it only, there's only on the internet? But you're online. Right. online. Online is we can be the best place to find it. Do people buy physical books anymore? Is that a thing? No, of course not. Well, they have it shipped to them. I mean, you can buy it. They do have an e-version e out, but the, uh, I don't know. I like physical books more than e-versions. No, anyway. I definitely like a physical book. Yeah. I do not like the feeling of, you can't take an e-book. That's a stupid thing to say. I was going to say, you can't take an e-book on a road trip, but that is <laughs> the opposite of true. You know Actually, what? I can't. I can't only read ebooks. On it. I can't dog ear an ebook. I dog ear books. No, People hate it. But I figure I don't. I don't my, dog ear my books. Do you dog ear oh, your books? I, I do. Absolutely. Oh, well, I it depends. It, oh. it depends. It depends on the book. Oh, uh, if it's a used like, if it's a used book that I buy in the bookstore, yeah, I'll like dog ear. Putting the Bible on the ground, like or, or letting, oh, the, letting the flag no. burn. I mean, that, oh, you know, it says something honorable. I think about the book yeah, personally. I, I like it. I think I used to feel that way, that there was a sort of interaction with the tactile artifact if you dog-eared, but I don't dog-ear anymore. Yeah. I, have, I have bookmarks. Bookmarks, I think, are a way I can express myself. I get like a like a Lord of the Rings bookmark or something, so everybody knows what a gigantic... Not only am I reading a book at the bar, but I'm a gigantic nerd with a Lord of the Rings bookmark, and then <laughs> everybody, you know, I express myself that way. So. All um, right, well, peace out, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. That's it for episode 87 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some Aquavit for our discussion of Ingmar Bergman's groundbreaking film, The Seventh Seal. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know how you feel about the two-part episode. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at, at Nuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics.